Welcome to Rights Monday on ESAD Radio 89.7 FM. This program takes place on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of this land, and I pay my respect to their elders, past, present, and yet to come. My name is Ira, and I will be with you for the next hour and a half, talking to artists whose works take inspiration from the natural world, contribute to the dialogue on climate change, and look at the ways to raise environmental consciousness. Joining me on the show today will be printmaker Freedom Wilson, whose work carries a message of conservation and biodiversity. Today we will be talking about her most recent project, The Mushroom Matrix, a large public art installation developed for a laneway in Blue Mountains, Katumba. Oh uh-huh. 
You're on Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Sympoesis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. And I'm on call to printmaker and biodiversity advocate Freedom Wilson, whose works pay tribute to the complex and unique ecology of the Australian wilderness. Good morning, Freedom. Do we have you on the line? Hi, Ira. Yeah, good morning. Lovely to hear you both. Yours too. You're in uh, Katoomba Blue Mountains at the moment, as far as I'm aware. That's right. Yes, that's right. I am firmly here in my radius today. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And how is it there at the moment? What's the weather like? What are the colors like? The smells? Yeah, well, I did go out for a bushwalk this morning with my daughter. Um, it's a beautiful weather for bushwalking, which is really lucky at the moment mm. <laughs> to have that. And yeah. is this something you do every morning, go for a walk? Um, a couple of times a week, try and um, get up early and go for a walk and yeah, get the day started that way. It's a, it's a great way to start the day. We're so lucky, you know, to walk out the back door and... Um, have amazing national parks on our doorstep and um yeah so we don't have to go to that much effort to have an amazing experience so mm. lucky. Yeah. and do you ever finish a day with a walk we seem to do it in the morning more often than in the evenings yeah during the week i think um getting up it's six o'clock in the morning walk is a lovely way to start the day and then on, on weekends i think we walk kind of with the family together in the afternoons um, more often which is yeah, it's nice and go for a bigger, longer walks and explore a bit and get the map and try and find somewhere we haven't been before. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And try and find some wild, wild flowers and some mushrooms and yeah, have a look around. Mm. Well, now mm. you're touching upon uh, the reason why I invited you to the show today is your project you. that is about looking for wild flowers and mushrooms, especially mushrooms, this one. And it's yes. called the Mushroom Matrix. It's a large public art installation in a land in Katoomba. But before we dive into this one, I'd just like to talk about your practice in general for a short while. As I mentioned in the introduction, you're a printmaker and biodiversity advocate. Is this a correct way to introduce you or how do you, what words do you tend to use when you are attempting to introduce your practice to to someone else and maybe somebody who is not even in the art world? How do you go about that? I think that's a beautiful way to introduce. I think um, my practice has sort of evolved very much because I live here on the doorstep of the Blue Mountains National Park. So it's very much what I see and find while I'm walking. I then go back and draw it, if time allows, and get to know it. And that informs my printmaking practice and any other projects that I might have. So really going out looking for interesting things in the bush and um, taking the time to draw it and then letting that work from bush journals evolve into bigger projects is um, is something that I just love doing. I feel very lucky to be, be here and be living here and um, have all this at my fingertips and be able to have, have a practice like this. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And mm. when did this love for printmaking develop in your life? What drew you and still draws you to this form of artistic expression rather than any other, rather than painting or performance or anything else? What is it about drawing and printmaking? Yeah, I think printmaking is a complexity to it that I just love. And I think it's something that's always happened for me. I can remember, you know, being a five-year-old with our neighbours um, using sponges and cutting sponges into certain shapes and printing on T-shirts. And um, we had this fabulous haberdashery store not far from where I lived. So could buy paint from there and then come back and put it on different um, <laughs> different surfaces. So I think um, drawing, printmaking, it's just something that's always been there for me. And different times, you know, it's gone away, but it comes back pretty quick. It doesn't stay away for long. And, um, and I feel now that I'm a 45-year-old, very nearly 45-year-old person, <laughs> that um, there's so much I, I sort of am beginning to feel this urgency for the rest of the things that I need to discover in the next sort of 55 years of my life and, and how I want to talk about what I find in the bush through print. So I, I just feel this kind of urgency to work harder and harder and I, I think you get to a you get to an age where you realize that um exactly what it is that you want to be doing with your life and really need to focus and concentrate in whatever capacity is possible and I'm certainly there now so yeah mm. 
And mm. much before that, much before you were there, you're saying you started uh, creating some kind of art when you were five years old. Was this something that your parents encouraged? Were your parents involved in arts in any way? And how do you go about it with your children? Are they also involved in making things, creating things? Yeah, I think um, definitely my mom was, an, or still is, an amazing gardener. So a lot of the time she would be out in the garden working or other people's gardens working. And so while she was there, we would be there with our sketchbook sketching or making things or, you know, sewing leaves together or whatever. And I think for my kids too, it's something that they've just had to had to love. <laughs> I think but part of my practice when I had tiny kids was going out into the bush, I would go out to the bush with a sketchbook but needed to entertain them, so I would give them a sketchbook as well. And um, <laughs> so I'm very fortunate that they've been um, keen to put up with that. <laughs> they both really love art now that they're teenagers, which is good. I think they're continuing, but with quite different interests. And sort of one of them's gone into, she loves sci-fi and drawing crazy imaginary creatures. And um, I think the other one's quite crafty. But, um, yeah, so they just, they've just had to, had to enjoy it. <laughs> well, it's a nice thing to have to do. <laughs> all other things that could have come their way. Um, That's right. They haven't had a choice. <laughs> yes. Well, there is always a choice later on when you grow up. They can always give up <laughs> on of it or go down that path even more. That's true. Yeah. That's so true. as you yeah. mentioned, bushwalking through Australian wilderness is very much a part and the beginning of your process of making works. Uh, yes. You go into these bushwalks and uh, as far as I observed, you take photographs of these tiny formations such as uh, fungi or orchids. And then yeah. back home or in a studio, you create these delicate life-size drawings, which are then transformed into macro portrait-like seal screen prints. Yes. So tell me a bit about this process when you come back from the bushwalk and you have these photographs and you sit down and draw. It appears very calming and it seems to still down the time. It is such a wonderful thing to do. And so often um, what I'm able to see that is intriguing isn't going to last very long. You know, if it's a mushroom, it could be gone in 24 hours. They're sort of, I think, 90% water, so they're going to fruit and um, and be so compelling to draw. But, you know, two or three days later, they might be gone. So often it is taking a photo in case I don't get the chance to go back. But it's possible to go back and draw in the environment. I think that's um, quite an important thing for me to do because, well, I have the time to draw it also gives me the time to notice what else is happening in that environment and what sort of relationships the mushroom or the orchid or whatever it is might have with the other species around it. Um, so mushrooms, you know, they do so many amazing things in the bush and they're always transforming environment. And sort of by drawing in environment, if it's a mushroom on a rotting log, I'm able to work out that it's a polysaphrotrophic mushroom and it's probably helping to decompose the log, which will then be providing nutrients for whatever plant is just nearby. And um, so I think drawing an environment or taking photos of whatever it is and then the environment is, um, is good. Sometimes, you know, it might be rainy or there's just not enough time to go back. But if possible, sketching out on location is a great thing to do. And then... Um, and then coming back, and I do like to upscale back in studio. So I think part of that is realising that it, it often is the really tiny things that you see in the bush are having huge, big impact on, on the environment and um, transforming the landscape. So trying to, you know, when we look at a, an amazing landscape vista and we see the colours and the hue and the shape, but we don't necessarily know what plants are growing, I think sort of trying to understand what sort of plants actually are growing gives a good idea as to why the landscape has the feel that it has. And, yeah, so it's just um, trying to teach myself really about mm. um, what's growing where and the relationships between different fungi and plants and um, mm. enjoy enjoy the process. And I think, you know, learning one thing leads to another thing and um, – it's all just so amazing. It's mm. it's all so intriguing. I think you learn one thing and it makes you want to learn something else. And I go home and look at someone else's Instagram who's found the same species and see what they've said about it. And that leads to this whole other field of <laughs> exploration. And it's just um, it's an amazing world. Mm. Mm. And 
And um, you mentioned upscaling. And so, as I said before, you turn these life-size drawings into a large blown-up scale prints. Is this mm. something that you, you have been doing uh, since you started? Or is this interest in macro prints came after mm. into your practice? I think so. I think um, what I'm interested in at the moment is, you know, drawing a landscape but then sort of just trying to pick apart different parts of the ecology within the landscape. So, you know, drawing a landscape as it is, but then making a bit of indication on the drawing of what is growing in those areas and walking into those areas to see what's growing there. And then sort of really using the upscaling as a way to highlight some of the really interesting and intriguing species that are growing in that area. Yeah, I think I think that's a, it's a good way just to sort of flag and say, you know, this is such a small thing, but it, it's having a big impact on what's here and all the other species around it, and they've evolved together. And yeah, it's it's a great way to kind of flag or highlight what what is happening at a small scale within the landscape. And this is something you will be doing as part of the Mushroom Metrics project in a laneway in Katoomba. Tell me a bit about how did you get to this project and were mushrooms something that you were expert in before you started this project or was this a learning curve for you as well? Mm, It's definitely... um... I became interested in mushrooms because I was interested in orchids. So a lot of orchid species in Australia will only germinate if there is a certain sort of mycorrhizal fungi in the ground but below where the seed might fall. And if it's not there, they're not going to germinate. And I found that such an interesting thing. But then we had a lot of rain last February last year. And so we had an amazing season for mushroom fruiting. It was just so fantastic and every time I'd go out there'd be something else I'd never seen before it was a really wonderful sort of autumn winter last year so I did a lot of sketching and and you know one thing led to another and I had a feeling you know (laughs) with my mushroom research last year that it was going to lead to something and then I saw the opportunity for proposals for the laneway project in Katoomba and it just seemed the most wonderful sort of reason that I, I realised why I'd been doing all this research. It just seemed a great way to share what I'd learnt. So, um, yeah, so I put an application in and um, feel very lucky to be printing giant mushrooms at the moment <laughs> in my studio. Mm. And uh, mm. there are 16 species of mushrooms for the project. And this yeah. is apparently the amount of species that exist in the bushland around Katoomba. Oh, no, it's only it's a tiny, tiny amount um, of what is fruiting around here. So it was really, really hard to choose to make it a reasonable project. I would love to <laughs> I would love to print a thousand <laughs> a thousand of the mushrooms that fruit in this area i think in my sketchbooks i don't know i must have a 150 or so but um there's so many amazing mushrooms so the mushrooms that i've selected for the project i'm working with the carpenter georgina donovan so she um we had a look together but i've chosen the mushrooms which are most easy to identify really there's a lot of sort of beige and brown mushrooms and i find them quite hard to identify so with these brightly colored mushrooms that we selected they're um they're quite easy to identify and they're also just so so beautiful (laughs) so beautiful when you see them in the bush it was really hard to choose 16 species but um i wanted to make it a reasonable sort of a project and um (laughs) was there a reason why 16 not really i think um we had a short list of 25 species and then I think just wanted to have different um, the mushrooms which look really different to each other, do, play different roles in the bush. And um, we've got some fungi and we have one slime mold as well, which isn't a fungi, but I just it's something that I find so interesting. So, yeah, so we just tried to have a big variety and um, there's some great colours and different shapes and sizes and um, different places that they grow. And, yeah, so, yeah, it was fun to choose, Mm. fun to go through and choose, but also sad. I think I'd love to do a project where I can can make the most of every single species. Mm. (laughs) But that would be a very, very long laneway. (laughs) That would be wonderful, such a long laneway, endless laneway. Uh, and some of these mushrooms that you have picked are glowing mushrooms. So they'll yes. be glowing, actually, the installation, parts of installation will be glowing in the dark. 
Then they're actually the mushrooms that I've been printing today, or they're, they're mushroom fungi. So I've come inside and now I'm to, to chat to you. I'm sitting at a desk and my pants have some um, pigments built, some glowing pigments. <laughs> it's quite funny as I'm chatting to you, I can see the glowing on my pants from the pigment that I spilled on my leg. <laughs> but yeah, so we have a, a well, we've got two species of glowing mushroom here in the Blue Mountains that I know of, but um, the one that is easiest to find is Amphilotus nidiformis and that um, it's an April fruiting mushroom and I have a wonderful group of friends here who we when we find them we see them during the day bushwalking we go back at night time and sit with them and sometimes they're sporing in the night and oh it's just the most wonderful it's you know usually they're only out for a week to 10 days in April but it is wonderful just to sit there in the um autumn evening and, and just spend some time with these beautiful mushrooms once your eyes adjust and once the sort of torch light has sort of gone from your brain just to spend mm. some time with these glowing mushrooms is oh it really is just an incredible experience it's just mm. a beautiful thing and mm. uh, many of the listeners especially those who live in Katupa and hopefully the rest of us will be able to sit and uh, be with mushrooms that you have replicated with uh, simulacra I guess of mushrooms such a wonderful thing actually to have right now when everything's so dire and close to have this art in public spaces which is the only opportunity yes. for us to see art is from the outside whether it's uh, inside of the shop window or actually as a public art and in general mm-hmm. i know that you have uh, very fond opinions of public art what does <laughs> it mean to you to have this well, i do um you're exactly right i think during covid and having all art galleries closed it's just so sad you know not being able to share or support or see the work of amazing artists and their thoughts and um and what they want to share with the world it is so sad and i think public art at the moment is you know we can walk we can go walking and that's what we can do and so that is how we can um can enjoy art so i feel um yeah we we have some beautiful artwork in the laneways in katoomba already and um I feel very lucky for that, but also for me to be working on this project, you know, in a time where I think the news is so sad and um, I I feel incredibly fortunate to have this uplifting project to be working on it. Mm. And, yeah, looking forward to being able to share it. You're on Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Symposis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. And I'm on call to printmaker and biodiversity advocate Freedom Wilson. She's calling us from Katuba Blue Mountains. And we are talking about her project, The Mushroom Matrix in a Laneway in Katumba. Freedom, tell me what are some of the most interesting things about mushrooms you have learned so far? What kind of lessons could we as humans learn from mushrooms in your view? Mm. I think the way that mushrooms interact with other species in the rainforest where we live and the way that they transform environment is just fascinating. So I think mycorrhizal mushroom that um, providing nutrients to other plants is just something that is just so compelling and so interesting and a really interesting way of learning what else is happening in an area and and I think you know seeing a tree that's lonely and isolated and doesn't perhaps have the the fungi underneath really makes me grateful for trees that are surrounded in the company of other um (laughs) other species but what is happening below the ground is just um just as important for the trees what's happening above the ground and um so mycorrhizal fungi providing nutrients to plant species is a wonderful thing and then i think here saffrotrophic fungi we had the bushfires and um it's interesting walking through a lot of the areas that have been badly impacted by bushfire a lot of the logs and trees that have fallen over on the ground but not being completely burnt the saffrotrophic fungi is eating that and um breaking it down and providing nutrients for whatever plant species are trying to regrow. There's a there's a wonderful species, Lacaria, which seemed to come out a lot after the bushfire. And I, I just felt happy seeing these little Lacaria, knowing that they are somehow providing some sort of support to a plant nearby that's regrowing. I think that's, um, that's just a wonderful thing. And just trying to understand that this has sort of happened over such a long period of time and... Um, appreciate the evolution of species of Australian plant and fungi working mm. together and um, and insects and animals and and just the role that fungi play for 
with ecological relationships. I think the way that they're so integral to the life of so many other species is just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And um, and it certainly makes me want to inquire and learn as much as I can and uh, enjoy because mm-hmm. they're beautiful as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other great thing about fungi, um, <laughs> they stay still. <laughs> and they're so and for that reason you know they're great they're easy to draw they're not going to fly away they um <laughs> they're a wonderful subject <laughs> once you can locate them they're a really great thing to be able to sit down and focus on because they're not going to move away <laughs> mm. you have touched the bone bushfires another project that you are working on at the moment is actually monitoring the areas after the bushfires to see what species are growing back are recovering and this is the project you are collaborating on with blue mountains world heritage institute that's right yeah yeah that's a fantastic project since the bushfires last year i think about 30 locations throughout the blue mountains have had really dedicated volunteers who just love being outside and really care and want to kind of put back whatever they can into the bush, going out and monitoring sites for plants and animals and birds that are coming back after the fire and then also looking to see what's not coming back after the fire and using that information for um, to provide sort of capacity to help and look after and protect in whatever way we can those areas and similar ecological areas so as a part of that there's an art project which is chatting with the volunteers and we're working on a project that um it's a print project but there is also a writing component and we are people have been touched in very different ways by the bushfire so i think um some of the artists involved have been really saddened by the mammals that lost their lives uh, someone's been really sort of inspired by a thing or the regrowth and um so we're gonna put this into a print of bark that's been peeling away from the trees so that's something very interesting that happened a lot of trees kind of looked quite dead but then six months later or so just suddenly and they looked very stressed as well but they they shed their bark and then the bark provides wonderful kind of mulch for the tree underneath Mm-hmm. Um, to help the tree with the regrowing, but also as the burnt bark sheds, it sort of exposes these beautiful new fresh tree trunks. So we are working on a series of paper, which we're hoping to make a little bit like bark, and printing either words or whatever it is that most intrigues the group about the regrowth after fire. And um, and it's an interesting project. It's um kind of researching what's happening but also it is just looking at the community and emotions and it was a very very stressful time and it was really sad but the growth has been amazing in some areas so just trying to kind of parcel all that up and um, work out how to put it into a printed work so we kind of right in the middle of that at the moment and and now we've all we're all discussing it on zoom because um Mm. (laughs) we can't meet in person which is i think meeting in person is a wonderful way of um sort of working through trauma really but yeah we're um we're zooming and that's that's the next best thing really so Mm. yeah and this is something that you do every sunday morning you have check-ins via via zoom with this group of um, collaborators and you mentioned that that's kind of keeping you uplifted throughout these times yeah we try we try for every sunday but it's not quite not quite that much but um <laughs> we try and um yeah and and we hope to have a sort of a project coming together that we can share yeah i think there'll be a digital online component first mm-hmm. and the online opens up the possibility of international input you mentioned as well connecting with world heritage listed places around the world so something's intriguing and interesting about this shift to the online of how wide the reach is and obviously how accessible it becomes yeah, it's it's something that I'm really interested in. Living in the Blue Mountains, I think to be a World Heritage listed area, the community needs to be looking after whatever it is that is listed. So we're listed for biodiversity and plant species here. Um, but there are around the world over 100 areas that have been World Heritage listed for wilderness. And some have been delisted due to war or development or, you know, the community kind of losing interest. And I'm really keen to do whatever I can to help continue the protection that we have here. Just interested long term in um, 
chatting to artists who live in other World Heritage listed areas and um, finding out what it is that inspires and, and enriches their life with the wilderness amongst which they live. And, um, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, you know, wonderful group of people and, um, oh, it's just a, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing sort of experience to be a part of. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying that. That's great. Mm. Mm. This is Issa Radio 89.7 FM, uh, Arts Monday Symposis is currently on where we talk about art and environmentalism. And I'm on call to printmaker and biodiversity advocate Freedom Wilson. And we're talking about two of her most recent projects. One is uh, the collaboration with Blue Mountains World Heritage Institute, looking at the recovery in uh, the bushland after the bushfires. And then the other one is called the Mushroom Metrics, and it's a large public art installation in a laneway in Katumba, looking at the fungi diversity. And uh, this actual installation will be up for about two years, and it's made out of wood, right? Is that what you're printing on? That's right, yeah. yeah. So we, yeah, it's a, it's a sort of a sustainable marine-grade plywood. Mm. And after it's deinstalled, it will be wood-chipped and fed back to mushrooms. So how does that work? Why do mushrooms yes. eat this? Yeah, so I think I'm um, just as excited about the inevitable deinstallation of the work as the installation. <laughs> um, so at some point, the few, I think, you know, many artwork pieces, the fascination with them ends. So whenever that may happen for the Mushroom Matrix project, the Blue Mountain City Council will have the artwork wood chips and then the wood chips will become a part of the um, gardens or council gardens around the Blue Mountains. But it is interesting um, as wood chip, you know, wood chips become broken down and eventually end up in dirt. So it'll be the bisaphotrophic fungi that breaks down the wood chips. Mm. So I'm, I'm quite enjoying the fact that um, the artwork will become, will go back to nature one day. So you know, nature's inspired the project, but it will become a part of nature one day, like we all will one day. Mm. Yes. <laughs> And does that mean that the paints that you work with are biodegradable or sustainable? Yeah, they're yeah. all um, yeah, they're all just water-based inks. Yeah. So um, yeah, so that should be fine. And we've got um, a lovely natural oil and that sort of thing. So yeah, that should all be good. It's mm. beautiful. Yeah. And tell me, yeah. um, I know that uh, I want to let listeners know that they can find you on Instagram, and it's at freedom wilson. But yeah. there is also another account called Laughing Bird Print. So what is Laughing Bird Print? Yeah. So um, Laughing Bird Print, it's kind of my commercial. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be. It was supposed to be my commercial website. But um, actually, that didn't happen. I just realized um, with Instagram that I was just posting photos of bushwalking all the time, and, yeah. you know, in, instead of product photos. So. <laughs> And products, <laughs> products are tea towels. This is uh, how you yeah, so that, make yeah, living. So hand printed, yeah, so they're a series of hand printed tea towels and bags and other things, which again, they're just celebrating the um, celebrating some of the amazing plants and shrubs and trees that we have in this area and, um, and some of the plant and animal, or the animal and um, bird species that enjoy them. So everything's hand printed, but it's... Uh, it's a project that I print and then sell through some really beautiful shops around the place. So we've got the local food co-op shop sells them and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I really, I love, I love printmaking and I love hand printed things and, and screen printing is a wonderful medium because, you know, you are able to print a lot, but you still, your hand is a part of the process as opposed to digital printing. Mm. And, um, and that's a very special thing. So, yeah, I enjoy that all these tea towels are hand-printed and they go off to the world. And um, they have really interesting lives. They end up in very interesting places. Often people buy them as presents and send them to exotic countries. And um, <laughs> mm. so the tea towels have interesting lives. <laughs> and they can be purchased online as well, I assume, not just in... Yes, yes that's right. Yeah, so there's a laughing, laughing Bird website, yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
their wonderful mm-hmm. presence and the way to support artists in this time. So make sure to have a look at the Instagram account Laughing Bird Print, uh, which is a commercial part of the practice of Freedom Wilson, with whom I'm just speaking on Easter Radio 89.7 FM. Freedom, you mentioned how uh, there is uh, something different about the fact that silk screen is made by hand and involves hand and it's very different from a digital printing. How would you explain it? What is it about making things with hands that can never be replaced with obviously digital things? What happens to us when we use our hands? I mean, for me, um, I I think it's really about love and it's about connecting to whatever it is that you are making. And it's just this extraordinary level of connection that um, I feel sad, you know, that we're moving away from that. I think personally, I, I... I love the sort of textures and um, and the feeling. And I think when something is created by hand, there's this just intensity. I think it carries through. It's um, uh, it it just makes whatever it is so special. And I um, oh, back in the day <laughs> before COVID, used to participate in a lot of handmade makers markets. And I think meeting the other people that make these things. Um, everybody's so passionate. People love what they do. And it's not about, you know, making as many as you can. It's about, um, you know, making something that is going to last and something that's really going to enrich somebody's life. And um, one of the wonderful things about the maker's markets are people will often tell you why they're buying something and who they're buying it for. And I think if it's something that has been made by hand, you know, it's just really adding to that special connection um, between maker and person and, it's sort of a life that I love to live as simply as possible, but um, enjoy handmade wherever possible as mm. well. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful community of people that do make things by hand and, mm. and, it's also, and an amazing level of passion there. And, yeah. yeah. It also mm. takes more time and there is something about slowing down in that process and being with time and in time. Mm. It's, so, it's so true. It's so true. Yes, yes. Yeah, it does. It's certainly not a it's certainly not a fast process, mm. <laughs> and I guess it forces you to say no quite often too, because mm. you know you might get asked to do something, but you're just not physically going to have the time to um, be able to make that possible. So it's um yeah, I, I think it's adding a certain realness to life, and um, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy having some sort of some sort of element of hand in um in the process of whatever it is that I'm making. Freedom, thank you very much for joining us on ESET Radio this morning to talk about your project Mushroom Metrics in a laneway in Katoomba. Thank you. It's so lovely to chat to you again. And um, I look forward to being able to hopefully see you in person. Yes. (laughs) Yes, for a mushroom mushroom party in a laneway. That sounds amazing. We yeah, will all come good. dressed in a glowing colors, glowing <laughs> mushrooms colors. That would be wonderful. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I really hope so. That sounds one really fun. It sounds like a dystopian future, these things that we used to think are normal, <laughs> <laughs> that we actually can get her and then have fun together and dance and you know, just being in proximity, physical proximity with each other. Well, I hope it's not a too far away future. Mm. And by that time that we are all safe and healthy as well, which is yes, the most absolutely. important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been great to chat to you. You take care. And, um, you too. Yeah. Look forward to that. <laughs> Isad Radio 89.7 FM. That was conversation with printmaker and biodiversity advocate Freedom Wilson, who was calling us or joining us on phone from Katoomba in Blue Mountains. Today uh, we are talking all things mushrooms and at the same time we are listening to a composition of John Cage. John Cage, if you didn't know, besides being known obviously as an avant-garde composer of the silence fame, was also a passionate uh, mycologist or a mushroom expert. He in fact took his students, his music students, uh, on uh, the mushroom foraging trips and uh, was teaching them how to identify mushrooms, not just how to compose music. 
There is a, a book uh, that you can also purchase uh, that is about his lifelong fascination with mushrooms. The book is called John Cage, A Mycological Foray, and it includes various mushroom-oriented anecdotes as well as a complete transcript of a 1983 spoken performance called Mushroom and Variations. And this book is also illustrated by photographs of Cage foraging, his diary entries, notebooks and essays related to his passion. And there is often a surreal, I think throughout the book there is this surreal selection of his vast collection of fungi-related ephemera, such as postcards and collages and guidebooks on the identification of mushroom species.
slowly coming to the end of today's Arts Monday Symposis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. With me in the show today was a printmaker and biodiversity advocate, Freedom Wilson. She's currently working on a large public art installation, The Mushroom Matrix, in a laneway in Katoomba. So make sure to walk around uh, your neighborhood if you live there to have a look at 16 different species of mushrooms that she is replicating, printing them on uh, plywood or something like that, working with a carpenter to create them. There will also be some glowing mushrooms, so it's well worth a check during the night as well. I'm signing off for today. If you would like to hear back the conversation with Freedom, you can go to our website, eastsidefm.org, and find the program called The Arts Monday, today's program, and you can listen back through the whole show. But stay on ESA Radio Air for the moment, because coming up next is Syncopatico with Pino Scuro. And I will be with you in two weeks' time, and uh, there will be another artist who works with environmental teams joining me in the studio. Until then, ESA Radio 89.7 FM. Mm-hmm.